So keep it locked. We've got Gray Matters, like I said, coming your way in just about a minute right here on WCBN-FM Ann Arbor. From the Delta to Chicago, New York to St. Louis, Memphis, Texas, Detroit, Michigan, and the California coast. Across this great land, the Voice of the Blues comes your way every Saturday afternoon from 3 to 5 p.m. It's called Nothing But the Blues. And since 1975, WCBN has been the vehicle through which the true roots of the blues travels the highways, back roads, juke joints, inner city clubs, smoky rooms, and back porches of America right to your doorstep. Join me, Jerry Mack, for an excursion into the true American musical experience on Nothing But The Blues, Saturdays from 3 to 5 p.m., right here on WCBN-FM, Ann Arbor. Well, uh, good evening, and welcome to another edition of Gray Matters, the weekly news and media talk show. My name is Dick Whaley. Jim may be having problems finding a parking space tonight, because I noticed there's an unusual amount of traffic, as well as parked cars around WCBN. Something must be going on nearby, so there's a bigger crowd than normal. But uh, you are listening to WCBN-FM Ann Arbor. And the show is called Gray Matters, the weekly news and media talk show. In any event, uh, I was just going to jokingly say lions, tigers, and bears. Oh, my. Well, I guess we'll start out with the tigers very quickly. It's kind of unusual to see the Detroit Tigers bail at uh, the trade deadline. Uh, They really were only a couple of games out of a wild card spot. And I realize that Miguel Cabrera is injured. And when you're missing... Arguably one of the best right-handed hitters in the history of the game. Certainly one of the best right-handed hitters in the in Major League Baseball over the last several years. Um, and his date of return is unclear. That was probably a big reason. But uh, <clears throat> kind of surprising. Because uh, they really were only two games out of a wild card spot. And I realized that... David Price and Cespedes were probably going to be free agents. With the Tigers not having a big uh, chance of apparently signing them, although I'm a little unclear why Cespedes wouldn't have been signable. Price apparently had some personal issues with it. I don't quite know all the details about, but uh, in any event, uh, the Tigers are going to get younger And these kinds of trades, you never know. Baseball is a kind of an interesting game in that it's driven by financial considerations much more than the other major sports. And uh, that's somewhat of a shame. The other sports have salary caps and are more run like socialist entities. And this is why... At the trade deadline, you see a variety of smaller market teams bailing on the season and are known as sellers, and the rich 
higher marketed teams, including the Tigers, because uh, they're still drawing quite well. Buying, as they say. As for the Tigers, I don't know if we've heard we heard more about the mane of Cecil the Lion or Donald Trump's mane last week. Um, obviously, the uh, hunting of Cecil the Lion and the story surrounding that whole event underscored some of the big problems that we're having globally with large mammals. Many of these mammals, because of uh, human encroachment and some of the impacts of climate change, um, are predicted to be all but extinct maybe in 30 or 40 years. So it's rather disgusting to hear about safari tourism in which uh, very wealthy people can pay quite a bit of money to kill these sorts of creatures that God put on our planet. I throw in the word bears because I heard late today and as part of Obama's uh, energy uh, policy, regulatory uh, sort of uh, related to utilities, that he's going to be visiting the Arctic. And, of course, the polar bears are yet another large mammal uh, in danger of becoming extinct, possibly within 50 years. So these are just sad events that uh, remind us that um, human beings have a responsibility to do something about these problems. And I doubt that Congress is going to cooperate with Obama on the utility issue. We're going to hear Mitch McConnell moaning and groaning about the war on coal. But I hate to inform Mitch McConnell of the facts. It's the utility companies that have been getting rid of coal for a lot of reasons. And even here in the state of Michigan, where we had some thunder showers last night that's uh, <clears throat> knocked out power to thousands of people in various places. DTEs on the, on the job as we speak, and people are getting their power restored. These power outages, by the way, are generally caused by tree limbs uh, coming down and, and uh, basically snapping power lines. But, I mean, it's, it's been reported over the last several weeks that, that consumers' power is uh, mothballing seven of their coal-fired plants. So the move against coal is not has nothing to do with Obama. It predates Obama. And, of course, coal uh, was a dominant uh, fossil fuel in the global economy uh, in the 19th century, no question about it. The Industrial Revolution, for all intents and purposes, started with the invention of the um, steam engine, and over time it was the British Navy that changed their ships to coal, and then of course eventually oil supplanted coal. Um, this is just part of the way technology is changing, and uh, natural gas is, is being used in many utility entities throughout the country that have nothing to do with 
a war on coal. So let's give out Mitch McConnell a brain damage award for continuing to use this misleading phrase. There is no war on coal. No, in many ways, coal is its own worst enemy. I mean, uh, just look at China. They're yeah. the uh, poster child for uh, what coal will do to you in the short term. And we've seen pictures, by the way, from India. Uh, India and China have unbelievable air quality problems uh, as a result of coal being burned. This, of course, is how the term smog even got invented. Yep, that's right. London had terrible <laughs> smog, which is sort of a combination, I guess, of smoke and fog uh, that beleaguered their cities. Uh, even, you know, in the 1950s and whatnot. Um, The British uh, have been losing coal mining jobs now for decades. And uh, this is tough, dangerous work. But it's very sad when, with the modern machinery of the coal industry, uh, using so-called mountaintop blasting, to literally pollute entire watersheds uh, in the Kentucky, West Virginia region, for instance. That's just environmental degre- degradation that really shouldn't be occurring. Oh, and it's it's been going on consistently throughout the last century, you know, at least. Yeah. Um, it's, uh, it's environmental degradation full speed ahead. There's no doubt about it. Uh, Back in the day, uh, they used to strip mine, stripping the side, and then uh, for federal inspections, they would actually spray paint the mountainsides green so that flyovers wouldn't reveal the true extent of the strip mining. Uh, My mother was associated for a time with a priest who did volunteer work up in the hollers uh, where the poorest of the poor folk live, and uh, I saw these rocks firsthand. Yeah, and... uh I mean, when we talk about a mix of of energy uh, production needed to uh, basically create the electricity that allows our economy to function, it's quite clear that America can go in a more renewable direction quite easily. Um, There are several European countries that have made huge commitments either to solar or wind power, and that can certainly be done in the United States, uh, as we have ample um, solar supply out west. It's just a question of building the infrastructure and making commitments to get this done. As I was talking about the uh, <clears throat> species extinction of large mammals, mm. it's interesting to note, by the way, that just a couple of months ago, In a study published Thursday, this is from the May 5th of 2015, basically in the science section, uh, the journal Science, Mark Urban, an ecologist at the University of Connecticut, found that climate change could drive to extinction as many as one in six animal and plant species in a new analysis. Uh, he found that the as the planet warms in the future, species will disappear at accelerating rates 
we have the choice, he said in an interview, the world can decide where on that curve they want the future of Earth to be. And while it's been fascinating to see uh, the uh, space probe uh, going near Pluto and discovering, I guess, the other day from one of the, maybe the well, maybe it was the Hubble telescope that uh, they saw a planet in a solar system about 30 light years from from uh, Earth. It's a long way. <laughs> that uh, this planet had uh, aurora borealis, you know, the northern lights, that there was a planet with a magnetic field creating hmm. something similar to planet Earth. Fascinating stuff. But uh, when I hear people talking about colonizing Mars, <laughs> I'm starting to wonder about the sanity of some of these people. I don't doubt that maybe in thousands of years, Mars we may have technology uh, by then that would allow that to happen. But uh, unless we get some pretty serious heavy equipment up there, <laughs> and I don't know how it gets there. <laughs> right. To do um, the digging. You know, to create literally a life right. who, underground. Who will go there to do the uh, life-threatening work? And then when that dangerous work is done, who will get to live in the uh, elite towers <laughs> of the Martian high-rise buildings? The mine shaft gap. That's right. <laughs> uh, of course, Sun Ra wisely observed that space is the place. Uh, but... It's important to remember that we're already in outer space. The planet on which we reside is hurtling through space. And yes. so, indeed, we're already on a spaceship. Uh, William S. Burroughs always argued that the best comparison is to consider it as a lifeboat. Who's polluting the lifeboat and who's helping to maintain the lifeboat? That's really the only uh, standard of measurement by which we can determine are you helping uh, this spaceship make it through its long journey, or are you uh, cutting holes in the inner tube? So, Well, I think it's relatively predictable that in the upcoming debates uh, this week that I'm sure I'll skip, I think I'll just read about them. <laughs> I don't know that I need to waste my time watching 10 candidates who pretty much agree on almost everything, trying to create headlines vis-a-vis uh, -vis Donald Trump. I mean, this has already become a circus. How refreshing, by the way, to learn uh, in today's uh, New York Times that 15 of the 17 Republican presidential candidates have guns. Oh, and, and many of them have a number of guns. Yeah, this is what's fascinating. It says that the Washington Post, even though this is in today's New York Times, said that Ted Cruz and Marco Rubio prefer 357 Magnum revolvers. Donald Trump has a Heckler and Cook 45. I thought it would be Colt, but it's actually Coke, like the Coke brothers. Mm -hmm. uh, it's fascinating that it it's a Heckler. <laughs> there's something there's poetic justice in that. Senator Lindsey Graham of South Carolina owns an AR-15 semi-automatic rifle 
and so forth. Which for, he shoots the red squirrels with, which trouble his uh, his gopher holes. That's right. And uh, it says that there's a total of 40 guns amongst the 15 candidates. The survey did find two non-gun owners, Governor Chris Christie of New Jersey, um, who's been, uh, quote, busy on the Hustings scrambling back from his state's strong gun safety laws. Quote, there would be a whole lot of things I would change, he said, formerly. And Governor, former Governor Jeb Bush, who signed the reckless stand-your-ground law that has been used to reduce gun owners' culpability in shootings. Well, good for Bush and Christie for not owning guns. I think they're largely unnecessary. And uh, I don't object to hunting to call species that are overpopulated, such as deer in, in Michigan. Sure. We've had local debates here in Ann Arbor about the deer population and some of the problems that uh, they've been creating because uh, they're hungry animals that keep... They do devastate crops. ...looking for juicier food than the woods sometimes provide. But... Uh, well, just on the subject of those gun-owning Republicans there, uh, none of them will mention it. And I'm sure if it comes up in the debates as a topic, uh, they'll find ways to uh, switch it around to talk about so-called uh, our approach to mental illness. Um, it's a couple of quotes that I found uh, worthy of noting from that, I believe, same article you were quoting from the Times. Jeb Bush, uh, while speaking uh, to the NRA... Uh, back in 2003, said, quote, the sound of our guns is the sound of freedom. Well, that's real patriotic uh, talk there. I'm uh, sure the Taliban probably say the same thing when they're shooting their guns off in the air. But uh, Ted Cruz, this is even better, um, while speaking somewhere in New Hampshire this year, earlier this year, said, quote, we define gun control real simple. That's hitting what you aim at. It's grammatically and syntactically very clumsy, and of course, uh, he's trying to make a joke there, but uh, he's not joking. That's that's really how those people think. Um, Rick Perry saying, you know, sure, everybody in the theater should have a gun. Then, then all our problems are solved. Yeah, <laughs> shooting in the dark. Um, and of course, there have been numerous. Stories about the problems with these mass shootings all over the country, and well, it's just simply not an issue that anybody in the GOP is substantively going to. And here's another interesting thing that all these deal with because uh, libertarians like to point out that, well, you know, actually, despite uh, a, a spike in these mass shootings, which of course we're all horrified with, uh, generally violence is down. And while statistically that may be true, I think it's impossible to deny that the frequency of these mass shootings has uh, basically the same effect uh, as a terror strike. Yeah. People cannot, I mean, we all have the right to life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness, but if I can't rest comfortably knowing that my daughter and her friends are safe in a movie theater. Or a church. Or a church. Or, or a six, six-year-old children. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So where does someone else's right to have a gun impede 
my family's right to enjoy life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness without getting shot. Well, and there's even a local moron who created a big uh, controversy when he went to some like theater production. Out. Yeah, it was a Huron High School theater music yeah. uh, uh, band event uh, with a open carry. So the cops had to get sent out there to deal with that, and now he's, of course, uh, filed a lawsuit against the University of Michigan. Uh, he apparently wants people to pack pistols while going to calculus class. <laughs> don't get it. I uh, don't see the need for it. And uh, sensible gun limits are certainly the way to go, but uh, it ain't going to happen anytime soon. Yeah, I'm, of course, a, the a pacifist by nature, but uh, when Ted Cruz says things like, uh, that's hitting what you aim at, he's kind of inviting somebody to take a shot at him in a way. I mean, if, uh, like Charlton Heston, uh, when he was uh, the um, crusty old spokesman for the NRA in his final years, no longer uh, hireable as an actor, he went around the country uh, speaking on behalf of the NRA. He was going to do an event in Michigan, but then dropped out because they couldn't guarantee his security <laughs> at the gun show or gun event, whatever it was, because he was afraid someone was going to go in there and shoot him. Right. Well, Although, Welcome the, to America, Mr. Heston, the, the America that you've helped arm. Right. The people that, that he's basically defending their right to possess guns are the ones that he's just afraid of. Right. And the people who are against guns are not going to bust into Ted Cruz's house and shoot him, <laughs> even though he seems to be asking for it. Yeah, well, in the case of Cruz, I'm sure it would bounce off his oily skin. <laughs> his big, thick, pointy forehead. But, uh, yeah, how... Uh, <clears throat> it, it, the thing that's a little interesting about the Bush-Christie fact that they don't own guns is they've already done polling that show that if Trump falls on his toupee... <laughs> and, I mean, will, will Donald Trump's ego permit him to lose uh, Iowa, New Hampshire, and South Carolina? Does he drop out by that point, or how long does he stay in the race? Fascinating, because I would give him a shot in New Hampshire, but I don't see how he wins either Iowa or well, South the, Carolina. The money that these guys spend, vast and uh, in quantity as it is, is at some level tax-deductible for these super-rich millionaires, yeah. whether it's the Koch brothers funding others or Donald Trump funding himself. I mean, it's uh, it's an exemption. You know, they can claim that as a spending. Well, and it was fascinating to see that they had a powwow this weekend, and I think there were five candidates there. The, the, the Koch brothers have already called the field. In other mm -hmm. words, it was Jeb Bush, Marco Rubio, Ted Cruz... I think they invited Fiorini for entertainment reasons. I, I don't know. Donald Trump was snubbed and, of course, had to make a snide comment about it. Rand Paul was invited, but apparently he rebuffed the Koch brothers, which is who, odd. Who, by the way, have just spent another uh, several million dollars in a PR campaign to gloss up their somewhat secretive reputation. Yeah, it's interesting that they're working on burnishing their image. It's always refreshing to know when billionaires that have committed uh, all sorts of environmental crimes and union busting and all sorts of other shenanigans are hiring uh, Madison Street uh, marketers to spruce up their image. 
Of course, yesterday, one of the other words, one of the other things we won't hear anything in the debate about this uh, upcoming week, I, I wish just one more guy would get in the race so that they could at least have a baseball game, you know? Maybe they could... <laughs> that would be far more entertaining to watch uh, the 18 Republicans play baseball because <laughs> they're right now up to 17. Breaking news, Jim Gilmore has entered the race. <laughs> All right. He's not going to be in the debate, though, because I think he's in 17th place. But anyway, fascinating. In yesterday's um, Sunday New York Times, in an article by Nicholas Confessora, Sarah Cohen, and Karen Yorish, they report that fewer than 400 families are now responsible for almost half the money raised in the 2016 presidential campaign. Wow. Fewer than 400. It says a just 100... And 30 or so families and their businesses provided more than half of the money raised through June by Republican candidates and their super PACs. And then, of course, they have a, a roster of these uh, billionaires and millionaires and their corporations, what they're connected with. Most of them, by the way, are... Uh, either technology types, uh, owners of sports teams, think of George W. Bush, part owner, mm. or uh, in uh, some sort of energy or Wall Street, you know, hedge fund kind of thing. They're the only people that can give this kind of money. But, uh, yeah, these are amazing uh, sums. Ted Cruz, for instance, has received... Um, about $11 million from a character named Robert Mercer, co-chief executive of Renaissance Technologies. Um, and you see the list. It's, it's, you know, it's the same six or seven candidates. Basically, the top <laughs> 35 are, are all, have all donated to super PACs for the Republican Party. So plutocracy is alive and well in the United States should uh, rein, you know, reiterate that uh, the turnout in our last midterm elections was the lowest in 72 years. The lowest since World War II was actually underway. Wow. And that there, what I find so troubling at this point is there seems to be a new thing about social media as a, a sort of substitute for democracy, that you're somehow participating in democracy— if you're sending texts or opining on the texts of others. Yeah, that this is somehow a substitute for democracy. And it, it's very troubling. And, of course, it's very predictable that uh, the super rich would be enjoying this kind of uh, advantage of free speech. Where does that leave the rest of us? Texting? On Twitter? Uh, I don't get it. Uh, sad. And, of course, you know, we, we, we had another email uh, scandal that went nowhere over the weekend. Right. But how fascinating that, uh, you know, this email is the sort of the new strategy to attack Hillary Clinton, despite the fact that a two-year investigation, this is from the 22nd of November last year, two-year investigation by the Republican-controlled House Intelligence Committee 
has found that the CIA and the military acted properly in responding to the 2012 attack uh, on the United States diplomatic compound in Benghazi, Libya. Of course, they're trying to implicate Clinton in this event. She was the Secretary of State who apparently was somewhere else, and it was her job, apparently, <laughs> to defend a diplomatic compound that was actually a cover for a CIA <laughs> compound. Uh, the, so the, Shh, be very quiet. <laughs> the, the facts in this Benghazi story that uh, she's apparently going to be testifying about at some point have been, as usual, muddled up uh, in the confusion of allegations and um, disinformation. And uh, it's, it, it's just so typical of what goes on. Uh, let's give a brain damage award out to uh, the United States Congress. They're apparently going to have a vote on defunding Planned Parenthood as a result oh, of these yeah. fraudulent right. videos. You know, people are offended because fetal tissue is being discussed. <laughs> Whatever. <laughs> Uh, it's quite clear from uh, the actual scientific evidence, by the way, from recent studies in Colorado, that uh, funding public health and family planning reduces teen pregnancy by 40%. <laughs> it's just mind-boggling. Take heed, red states. <laughs> but uh, this is the base that... Uh, Mitch McConnell has to appeal to. Well, and it's, uh, it's proven to be a losing strategy. I mean, it looks like their goal again is to, well, we'll force them to risk shutting down the government because that works out so well for us whenever we try to force that. Yeah, and I still don't quite understand how the, how the whole thing is going to work, but uh, Mitch McConnell and John Boehner are going to figure it out <laughs> at some point. We're out of time. Thanks to Andrew for engineering once again this evening. Don't forget, local elections tomorrow. Yes, indeed. City Council. And uh, do stay tuned. Yazoo City Calling next here on WCBN FM and Arbor. Cow Cow Davenport in the background and a very scratchy 78 that's been uh, remastered and on Wolf CDs. Telling you it's time for Yazoo City Calling here on WCBN-FM Ann Arbor. My name is Jerry Mack, your host this evening for an hour-long excursion into the land of Delta Blues and early urban blues performed and lived by the men and women who started it all. This is our weekly show paying tribute to these folks and we're glad you are tuning in. Sometimes not all the music is of the top fidelity, but uh, it does have that historical feel and passion to it that uh, is so important as the roots of American music. Anyway, this recorded in 1929, Cow Cow Davenport and, uh, in Richmond, Indiana. It's a beautiful Monday evening out there in the summertime. Hope you're enjoying it. Whatever you're doing, keep that radio dial tuned to 88.3 FM as we bring you Monday evening blues for the next hour and some great freeform beyond that. 
In the meantime, let's listen to Strut and the Blues from William Cow Cow Davenport. Mm-hmm. 